you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand, I am tired, I'm weak, I am warm, through the storm. My way 
came to earth to save you from all sin and strife. I just came to earth to love you and to give you a
Enjoying songs of praise. Here's some more inspirational music.
to serve God as any other day bound and determined to live in God's favor and nothing would stand in his way then the messengers came one by one with their stories in just a few moments Job lost all he had great wealth and riches and the health of his body and even his children were dead the lord giveth he taketh away blessed be the name of the lord i served him before and i'll serve him today blessed be the name of the lord job's wife came before him to voice her opinions she said you should end it Just curse God and die. Job rose from the ashes and looked toward the heavens. He brushed back the tears in his eyes. He said, The Lord giveth, he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When troubles come silently, blessed be the name. When storm winds blow by the me, blessed be the name. When Satan comes oppressing me, blessed be the name. I'll still serve God faithfully, blessed be the name. The Lord giveth, he taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord, the Lord. Psalm 
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music.
Let's run the race with patience. Lay aside its sin and care. Let us fight to win the battle, not as one that beats the air. Looking now to Christ our Savior, who endured the cruel cross. May we kneel that day before Him, having counted all but loss. A crown to cast at His feet, when the race on earth is then
along the shores of Galilee. From clay he formed the healing balm that caused the blind to see. While stones of wrath lay heavy in their hands, he knelt to write his mercy in the sand. Jesus came to set the captive free, showed us by the of praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God.
Often dim, but to cheer us on our journey, still we sing this wayside hymn. Yonder, over the rolling river, where the shining mansions rise, soon will be our home forever. And the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. Here our feet are often weary on the hills that throng our way. Here the tempest darkly gathers, but our hearts within us say, Yonder over the rolling river where the shining mansions rise, soon will be our home forever, and the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. Here our souls are often fearful of the pilgrim's lurking foe, 
But the Lord is our defender, and he tells us we may know. Yonder over the rolling river, where the shining mansions rise, soon will be our home forever, and the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou Your glory fills the sky. 
Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, The Reward of Grace. Lest the disciples should lose sight of the principles of the gospel, Christ related to them a parable, illustrating the manner in which God deals with his servants and the spirit in which he desires them to labor for him. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. It was the custom for men seeking employment to wait in the marketplaces, and thither the employers went to find servants. The man in the parable is represented as going out at different hours to engage workmen. Those who are hired at the earliest hours agree to work for a stated sum. Those hired later leave their wages to the discretion of the householder. So when even was come, the lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the labourers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. The householder's dealing with the workers in his vineyard represents God's dealing with the human family. It is contrary to the customs that prevail among men. In worldly business, compensation is given according to the work accomplished. The labourer expects to be paid only that which he earns. But in the parable, Christ was illustrating the principles of his kingdom, a kingdom not of this world. He is not controlled by any human standard. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. In the parable, the first laborers agreed to work for a stipulated sum, and they received the amount specified, nothing more. Those later hired believed the master's promise, Whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. They showed their confidence in him by asking no question in regard to wages. They trusted to his justice and equity. They were rewarded not according to the amount of their labor, but according to the generosity of his purpose. So God desires us to trust in him who justifieth the ungodly. His reward is given not according to our merit, but according to his own purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3 verse 11. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Titus 3 verse 5. And those who trust in him he will do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Not the amount of labor performed, 
or its visible results, but the spirit in which the work is done makes it of value with God. Those who came into the vineyard at the eleventh hour were thankful for an opportunity to work. Their hearts were full of gratitude to the one who had accepted them, and when at the close of day the householder paid them for a full day's work, they were greatly surprised. They knew they had not earned such wages, and the kindness expressed in the countenance of their employer filled them with joy. They never forgot the goodness of the householder or the generous compensation they had received. Thus it is with the sinner who, knowing his unworthiness, has entered the master's vineyard at the eleventh hour. His time of service seems so short, he feels that he is undeserving of reward, but he is filled with joy that God has accepted him at all. He works with a humble, trusting spirit, thankful for the privilege of being a co-worker with Christ. This spirit God delights to honour. The Lord desires us to rest in Him without a question as to our measure of reward. When Christ abides in the soul, the thought of reward is not uppermost. This is not the motive that actuates our service. It is true that, in a subordinate sense, we should have respect to the recompense of reward. God desires us to appreciate His promised blessings. But He would not have us eager for rewards, nor feel that for every duty we must receive compensation. We should not be so anxious to gain the reward as to do what is right, irrespective of all gain. Love to God and to our fellow men should be our motive. This parable does not excuse those who hear the first call to labour, but who neglect to enter the Lord's vineyard. When the householder went to the marketplace at the eleventh hour and found men unemployed, he said, Why stand ye here all the day idle? The answer was, Because no man hath hired us. None of those called later in the day were there in the morning. They had not refused the call. Those who refuse and afterward repent do well to repent, but it is not safe to trifle with the first call of mercy. When the labourers in the vineyard received every man a penny, those who had begun work early in the day were offended. Had they not worked for twelve hours, they reasoned, and was it not right that they should receive more than those who had worked for only one hour in the cooler part of the day? These last have wrought but one hour, they said, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. Friend, the householder replied to one of them, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. The first labourers of the parable represent those who, because of their services, claim preference above others. They take up their work in a self-gratulatory spirit and do not bring into it self-denial and sacrifice. They may have professed to serve God all their lives. They may have been foremost in enduring hardship, privation and trial, and they therefore think themselves entitled to a large reward. They think more of the reward than of the privilege of being servants of Christ. In their view, their labours and sacrifices entitle them to receive honour above others, and because this claim is not recognised, they are offended. Did they bring into their work 
a loving, trusting spirit, they would continue to be first. But their querulous, complaining disposition is unchristlike and proves them to be untrustworthy. It reveals their desire for self-advancement, their distrust of God and their jealous, grudging spirit toward their brethren. The Lord's goodness and liberality is to them only an occasion of murmuring. Thus they show that there is no connection between their souls and God. They do not know the joy of cooperation with the master worker. There is nothing more offensive to God than this narrow, self-caring spirit. He cannot work with any who manifest these attributes. They are insensible to the working of His Spirit. The Jews had been first called into the Lord's vineyard, and because of this they were proud and self-righteous. Their long years of service they regarded as entitling them to receive a larger reward than others. Nothing was more exasperating to them than an intimation that the Gentiles were to be admitted to equal privileges with themselves in the things of God. Christ warned the disciples who had been first called to follow him, lest the same evil should be cherished among them. He saw that the weakness, the curse of the church, would be a spirit of self-righteousness. Men would think they could do something toward earning a place in the kingdom of heaven. They would imagine that when they had made certain advancement, the Lord would come in to help them. Thus there would be an abundance of self and little of Jesus. Many who had made a little advancement would be puffed up and think themselves superior to others. They would be eager for flattery, jealous if not thought most important. Against this danger, Christ seeks to guard his disciples. All boasting of merit in ourselves is out of place. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. The reward is not of works, lest any man should boast, but it is all of grace. What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 4, verses 1 to 5. Thus there is no occasion for one to glory over another, or to grudge against another. No one is privileged above another, nor can anyone claim their reward as a right. The first and the last are to be sharers in the great eternal reward, and the first should gladly welcome the last. He who grudges the reward to another forgets that he himself is saved by grace alone. The parable of the laborers rebukes all jealousy and suspicion. Love rejoices in the truth and institutes no envious comparisons. He who possesses love compares only the loveliness of Christ and his own imperfect character. This parable is a warning to all laborers, however long their service, however abundant their labors, that without love to their brethren, without humility before God, they are nothing. 
There is no religion in the enthronement of self. He who makes self-glorification his aim will find himself destitute of that grace which alone can make him efficient in Christ's service. Whenever pride and self-complacency are indulged, the work is marred. It is not the length of time we labour, but our willingness and fidelity in the work that makes it acceptable to God. In all our service, a full surrender of self is demanded. The smallest duty done in sincerity and self-forgetfulness is more pleasing to God than the greatest work when marred with self-seeking. He looks to see how much of the Spirit of Christ we cherish and how much of the likeness of Christ our work reveals. He regards more the love and faithfulness with which we work than the amount we do. Only when selfishness is dead, when strife for supremacy is banished, when gratitude fills the heart and love makes fragrant the life, it is only then that Christ is abiding in the soul and we are recognized as laborers together with God. However trying their labor, the true workers do not regard it as drudgery. They are ready to spend and be spent, but it is a cheerful work done with a glad heart. Joy in God is expressed through Jesus Christ. Their joy is the joy set before Christ to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work, John 4, verse 34. They are in cooperation with the Lord of glory. This thought sweetens all toil. It braces the will. It nerves the spirit for whatever may befall. Working with unselfish heart, enabled by being partakers of Christ's sufferings, sharing His sympathy, and cooperating with him in his labor, they help to swell the tide of his joy and bring honor and praise to his exalted name. This is the spirit of all true service for God. Through a lack of this spirit, many who appear to be first will become last, while those who possess it, though accounted last, will become first. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Our spiritual lineage is a rich one with many illustrious names stretching back to the earliest centuries. We started this journey tracing our spiritual lineage with the Celtic Church in Britain. We saw that as early as the 5th and 6th centuries and lasting to the 12th century, there were Christians who were trying to maintain a faith based on their understanding of God's Word. The Waldensians of Northern Italy were another such group who could trace their origins centuries back. 
the faith and belief of groups such as these stood in conflict with the claims from Rome that they were the mother church, and so they sought to either convert or destroy them. In an era of immense darkness, John Wycliffe arose, the morning star. Whilst he did not start a new church, by translating the Bible and through his teachings, he was able to peel back the layers of night that had descended during the Dark Ages. John Wycliffe was followed by Huss and Jerome, two brave men in Prague. A century later, Martin Luther arose in Germany, Zwingli in Switzerland, Farrell and Calvin in France and then Switzerland, all great men who went against the grain and remained true to their convictions. In Britain, William Tyndale would produce a beautiful translation of the Bible, something that would cost him his life. It was not an easy time to be a believer, but slowly and surely the light was beginning to shine. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says that the path of the just is as a shining light that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day, meaning that when God reveals truth to us, whether individually or collectively, He does it bit by bit. The sun does not just appear in the morning, but it comes over the horizon gradually. And so God gives us truth in bite-sized pieces. And so with the church, each reformer built on the steps of those who had come before them. The truth of justification, sanctification, baptism, Christian charity, freedom and the second coming all came back gradually. Each of the reformers did not always agree with each other, but God used each one. As the Dark Ages ended in 1798 with the close of the 1260-year prophecy, and as the world entered a time period known as the time of the end, the prophecy said that knowledge would increase. This is not to be interpreted of knowledge of science or technology, but knowledge of the books of the Bible. In particular, Daniel and Revelation would be unveiled as we neared the end. Despite the huge gains that had taken place during the Reformation, Revelation 12 points out that after the woman or the church would come out of persecution at the end of the 1260 years prophecy that God would have a remnant at the end of time. A remnant who as Revelation 12 verse 17 points out would keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. But who would this be? And how would God lead his people in the 19th, 20th and 21st centuries. Join us next season as we continue this journey and explore our spiritual lineage through time. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.